brother, a man that does many things, a man that wears many hats, how do you manage that expectation? It's a good question. I'd say that certain days have certain priorities. So I try my best to keep my perspectives as narrow as I, or my focus as narrow as I possibly can. So I see myself as three things. See myself as a powerlifting coach, as an athlete, and as a family man. And so as long as I can fill in those three buckets and keep those buckets as full as I possibly can do so, then that's the best way for me to ensure that I'm getting everything done that I want to get done. So it's a matter of how I structure my week. From Friday through Tuesday, I'm basically grinding as a powerlifting coach, getting check-ins done, answering emails, Discord DMs, things of that nature. And then essentially Wednesday through Thursday is the times where I play some catch up with being a family man. So providing the spark off the bench with my wife and my daughter. Uh, my wife is the primary caretaker of our baby Aurelia. And on Wednesday and Thursday, I put a large, large emphasis on being family oriented and keeping my structure with time has been really, really helpful as well in the sense that as soon as 6 p.m. comes into play, I am 100% focused on family and putting the phone away, not listening to the voice in my head that's saying that you should check your email and check your DMs and things of that nature. And the morning time is 100% my domain. So I try my best to wake up around 5 to 6 a.m., get some things that I need to get done personally, and go to the gym three times a week, which is tragic because normally I end up going to the gym or I used to go to the gym five times a week. So I find myself missing it a lot. But one of the biggest things that I've been trying to teach my athletes and something that I'm trying to also leverage myself is that when life is at a high stressor, your ability to progress is not going to be as fast and sometimes doing less is more. And I found that to be largely the case for myself and a lot of lifters that I coach. Yeah, a lot of lifters that I coach. So it's essentially trying to get my schedule down to almost a sociopathic level <laughs> and trying my best to have one specific bucket that I focus on on a day by day or hour by hour basis and just check in with people that are my stakeholders checking in very frequently with my lifters like hey how do you how are you liking your experience are you progressing checking in with my wife do you feel like I'm doing enough do you feel like I'm supporting you in the, in the way that you feel you need support and checking in with myself which oftentimes tends to be the least the, the 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 lowest uh frequency of me doing so uh because I always feel like I'm gonna be fine until I hit a wall. But I've been trying to have more of a kindness to how I feel and process, hey, maybe today's not a great day for you to do like 20 check-ins or maybe today's not the best day for you. But as long as you get the things you need to get done done, then you're in good shape. 20 check-ins in a day. Sometimes, sometimes, um, cause I coach about 85 people at this, at this point. And sometimes when I'm hitting 
what I like to call an introverted flu where I just can't do anything and I'm like overloaded and overstimulated. I'll just take the day completely off and then just focus on making sure that my quality is there the next day. And that usually puts me in a crunch where I have to do 20 check-ins, either if I'm traveling or if I feel overstimulated or if I just have to take care of some fires from a family perspective. Yeah. But I don't want to front and say that I do 20 check-ins every single day, but I would say the average is about eight to 10 a day or so. Bloody hell. That's still a shift. And it's a yeah. This whole overstimulation is a is a real issue, right? Especially when we've got this this device where we're contactable in our pockets that vibrates and sings out our lovely ringtone every time somebody wants us, you know. And it's like, well, if I put it in the other room, what happens if somebody needs me? You know, you get that little dose of anxiety that stresses us out constantly, right? We're just a cesspit of stress and anxiety and it's just this melting pot for more and more and more and it's like you're gonna be all right you know remember when you were a kid and you didn't have a phone and you ran off into the woods and kind of did your thing out in the urban jungle it was like yeah you, you're gonna be all right until you go back home like they're gonna be sound you know if they send you a message midway through saturday you know and you work a monday to friday normal work week it's all right you know they're gonna get a message on monday morning and if not, then you need to set those expectations, right? And I think we need to set the expectations more with ourselves rather than the athletes that we coach because we're the ones that fuck ourselves over, let's be honest. Not not anybody else. We allow those boundaries to be crossed and by ourselves, not by anybody else. It's like, yeah, yeah, I can do an extra 30, 60, 90 minutes of work today. It's like it's 9 p.m. Like, put your feet up. You know what I mean? You've done enough. Done enough. Get some sleep. Go again tomorrow rather than just grinding yourself into a fine powder, you know, and it's then what what work are we creating and is it going to be optimal or is it going to be suboptimal? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like we are the last generation ever to have some memory of what it was like to just have a flip phone or what it was like to not even have a cell phone or to know that it was an absolute luxury to have a cell phone that had snake on it and you could text message someone after 30 minutes of typing it all out. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely missed the days where you didn't have that thing that you're constantly checking, constantly getting an overload of information. And I sometimes like to romanticize how things were like before cell phones in general at this age at 35 years old, because I think that relationships for the longest period of time, for the majority of relationships, they had their beginning and their end. You either move away or you get a new job or you go from school to school, but now you're expected to keep up every single relationship that isn't going poorly and I don't think we're really built for that. I don't. I really think we're not. I, I remember reading this article where your brain only really considers about 20 people in your life. And then everything else is kind of just overload. Mm -hmm. And when you have a high volume of lifters and a high volume of friends that you know, that you've known from like either high school or middle school or another job or another iteration of your life, 
I think it's incredibly anxiety inducing, especially given that when you talk to someone from that phase of your life, you tend to put yourself in that mindset again. And that's not always a good thing either. Right. I mean, I think people are meant to start and end relationships and not necessarily meant to just maintain constant contact or constant comparison with other people that they otherwise would have lost contact with naturally in a probably healthier way. But yeah, especially when it comes to myself, like I pride myself on being as self-aware as I possibly can be. I know I'm highly introverted. And I also know that I run a business that depends very heavily on communication with people and dealing with problems and dealing with emergencies. Well, emergencies in quotes, because there really aren't any major emergencies in powerlifting unless someone like gets injured or something of that nature. And even then, uh, it's more of an issue with a physical therapist or a doctor or something of that nature as opposed to a coach. But yeah, I mean, the overloading is sometimes very daunting. And especially when I am in competition or in coaching an athlete through competition, or I have a high volume communication day. I try my best to really periodize everything and make sure that I give myself some breathing room and give myself at least a couple of hours of doing like nonverbal work mm-hmm. or a couple of hours where I'm deloading completely and playing some video games or something of that nature. Uh, but I find that the hardest days are when you can't really necessarily do that and you have to just kind of grind through that wall. And that's kind of when you end up in that introverted flu where your nervous system just basically tells you to shut down or forces you to shut down. I couldn't relate to that more, man. You know, just me on my own. It's it's weird, isn't it? Because coaching is a highly extroverted job, whether you're behind a screen or whether you're in front of people, it doesn't matter. Like you've got to give everything of yourself to these, to these folk. Right. And we love it. It's a privilege to pay your bills this way. It's, it's unreal. I love this shit. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but there are definitely some times where you're like, fucking hell, can you just leave me alone? You know, I can't just be the guy, you know, uh, I, I cannot be the guy all the time. You got to wipe your own ass sometimes. And um, yeah, I understand that of, I just need an hour, 30 minutes, two hours where I can't talk to anybody. Let me just kind of pull the door, pull the curtains down. It's dark in this room. Get on with some work that I don't need to communicate with anybody else. You kind of shut down your Wi-Fi connection so nobody can get hold of you. Your phone's in the other room. And you just can kind of pit a power or journal or read or whatever you got to do, stretch, meditate, sauna, whatever. And I think it's really, really important for introverts to be able to do that, right? Um, just like it's important for extroverts to, if they are, behind a screen, not communicating. It's important for them to give themselves time with other people, right? Just get out, go see people, fill your cup, figure out who you are, how you tick, fill your cup appropriately. Yeah, that's definitely something I uh, I feel there, brother. Yeah, and I think that it's unhealthy to compare yourself to extroverted coaches because mm-hmm. times you're just like, how the hell is this person able to get this all done and have this major level of output, but I'm very lucky because I have a lot of lifters that are similar to myself. Like I've trying to corner the market on working with introverted 
high anxiety lifters for the most part. And a big part of it is half the day. I'm like, man, I wish I was more extroverted. But when I come to that thought in my head, I realize that I'm in my head in a negative way. And I'm comparing myself to someone that I'm never going to be, quite frankly. Yeah. And I've lost sight of the power of introverts, where when they do decide to put themselves out there, it's usually higher quality content or higher quality thought processes. And when we do decide to say something or we just we do decide to be outspoken about something, I think people listen a bit closer and take it a bit more seriously. And I think that there's a large superpower to being introverted as a coach because it gives you the opportunity to sometimes be ambiverted. Because I find that a lot of introverts are extroverted when they're in a position of confidence and authority. So if I'm doing a powerlifting seminar, I will come off as the most extroverted person in the world. Mm. But when I'm in a room where people are dancing and there's loud music and people are drinking, not to say that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not my personal thing. I remember when I was 21, I was at my first like legal club party or what have you. (laughs) And I remember having the worst time of my life and being like, Hey, like I'm supposed to be enjoying this and why am I not enjoying this? And that's the first time I I was ever highly considering that maybe I'm just not the same as a lot of people around me. And it doesn't help that. I think it's like what, 2080 in terms of introvert to extrovert in terms of general population. So it's very few of us versus many of them. And a lot of times our behavior can sometimes come off as weird or as rude or something of that nature but i think it forces you to kind of be your own person and it forces you to be perhaps unique and stand out a little bit more than um than others and uh also in the in the line of field that i work in as a powerlifter or powerlifting coach i find that it skews more introversion anyways right where you're working with someone who does a sport that's completely by themselves and can sometimes be more on the analytical and thoughtful side. Mm-hmm. And thankfully there's a lot more people that are more to themselves in this sport than I think in any other sport. And uh, starting off my career in CrossFit where I was coaching like group classes and I, I was a CrossFit level two trainer it taught me how to deal with that group class. But after two or three sessions or two or three hours, I was tapped. I was absolutely tapped. And um, I think that overall, the more that you're authentic and the more that you are just yourself, the more you just simply attract people that are part of your tribe and you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And there are going to be lifters that are high level that don't meet or don't vibe with you based on how you are. And I've been very, very thankful that across the board, uh, thankfully, I can say that I enjoy working with every single person that's on my team. And that helps out a ton. Because we all as coaches, we all have that one or two lifters or one or two athletes that we coach, that we have to, you know, smoke a cigarette, take a shot before we actually have an interaction with them. 
And there's no amount of money that can, that should force a coach to work with someone that is just not a good fit for them. Yeah. And if, if a lifter needs me to text with them every single day or something of that nature, as much as I love that other coaches can do that, it's just not my system. And just working with lifters that fit well with your system helps with respect to keeping things a little bit more uh, manageable, if you will. Yeah, for sure, man. And talking about that CrossFit classes and overstimulation and it gets a bit wild in those <laughs> in those scenes, man. Just gotta sit in an empty gym for a while with the lights off, just thinking what the fuck just happened. I feel like I got slapped around a little bit. But yeah, I think it goes back to that managing expectation, right? It really does. And I think we need to be open and honest with the people that we work with. And it's okay to be like, yo. I'm not going to be 24-7 accessible. Like, you can't access me all that time. You know, that's just, that's not going to happen. Like, that you would have to pay through the bloody roof. You know, you don't have the money and I don't want to charge that. Like, that's not going to happen. You know, it's not, it's not like you're charging a medium to low rate and they're like, yeah, yeah, now they've got access to you 24-7, 365. You're like, are you out of your mind? Like, that's why we didn't get into this corporate thing, you know, so they don't have you buy those handcuffs. Like, we can kind of make our own rules here and figure out which ones work for us and which ones work for us with specific athletes, you know. If they're, like, brand new into this thing, yeah, you're probably going to need to hold their hand a little more. And that's definitely what I do if they're brand new. Cool. Let's bit more communication. As soon as they know some stuff, mint. <laughs> don't talk to me for a week. <laughs> You know, leave me alone. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm pretty sure you're sick of me as well. You know, <laughs> well, it's um, creating independent lifters, right? Rather than dependent lifters. And it's, I think it's, um, I think we've done, pe done people a disservice if we're always providing them with the answer on their plate. It's like, no, 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 let's, let's teach you how to fish, you know? And then I want to go watch you fish. Rather than, oh, yeah, here's your, here's your fish. And then when you need another one, just come knocking on my door. It's like, no, no, because you can only help a certain number of people that way. But if you teach people, then you can help so many more. Absolutely. And it's sometimes making a decision as to whether or not you want to give someone a fish or teach them how to fish. Mm. Like when you're tapped out and you're running on fumes, you still need to deliver a consistent service. Sure. There are times where I'm like, Hey, I will make the decision for you. And I won't really go too much into teaching you how to make that decision in the future. Yep. But I find that if I do my check-ins early enough and I'm recharged enough, it, I find that the first five to seven check-ins that I do, it's all about teaching that person how to fish. And then towards the end, it's about here's your fish let me fillet it for you. Let me cook it for you. And let's just survive another week. Yeah. And I try to keep track of the people or the frequency that I'm doing that because you're absolutely right. It is a disservice where coaches shouldn't be holding athletes hands or the length of the relationship. And sometimes I would even garner to say that if you're holding that person's hand throughout the entirety of the relationship, you're essentially creating codependency and you're creating a paycheck that's consistent 
and doesn't give that lifter any autonomy. And one of the biggest things about coaching is that you get the privilege, like you said, you get the privilege to not only do this as a living, but you also have the privilege of essentially being paid to save the lifter time and to apply knowledge or wisdom, right? When you know so much more and so many different, and you have so many different tools in your toolbox, it's more so a matter of just applying the right tool to that one lifter. And that comes with knowledge, experience, and wisdom. And a lot of times when I'm running out of patience and when I'm running out of uh, energy, I always like to fall back to that one perspective where you're trying to save the lifter time, you're trying to educate the lifter, and you're trying to give them the best guidance that they otherwise wouldn't be able to Google or find on Reddit or anything of that nature. And whenever I feel like my quality is dwindling and my patience is dwindling, that's a bit exactly why I have that 24 to 48 hour response time on check-in specifically, where if I feel good, I'll get it back to you within this within the day. You'll have a great check-in. You'll have exactly what you need for the next week. But if I push myself to a point where I feel like I'm pouring from an empty cup, that only damages the relationship that lowers the quality and consistency of my feedback. And I find that a lot of times when it comes to the dark side of coaching, where it's losing lifters or having uh, athletes with having relationships with athletes that devolve, I find nine out of 10 times it's not because you didn't get back to them within the day. It's more so that your consistency is different, right? And your inability to be the same person across the board or as often as you possibly can dwindles. And people can see that, right? Like we could, we all can see, you know, with our significant others or our best friends, we can rely that we can rely on the energy being consistent. And we notice these subtle changes when the energy is not quite there. And when someone starts to check out or someone starts to fade away a little bit. And so a lot of times when a lifter like leaves a coach, it's not necessarily like one specific event. Most of the time, it's usually a slow decline of that consistency and that care that usually comes from the pressure of wanting to get feedback done earlier or wanting to just clear your, clear your plate as opposed to giving yourself that extra day of space. And thankfully, every time that I've been like, hey, sorry, I'm a little late on my check-in. And by late, I mean like closer to 48 hours as opposed to 24 hours. A lot of times I find that coaches are kind of seeing a invisible amount of pressure and an invisible amount of judgment that just simply doesn't exist, right? A lot of times athletes are like, I wasn't even training that day or no worries or totally fine. Like take care of yourself. And I think the more that we listen to our clients and the more we listen to that feedback, the more we can actually start to believe it as opposed to saying it's a privilege to do this. I see everybody else grinding and everyone else having fast response times on Instagram. And you just go through this unfair comparison against yourself. And a lot of times it's just self-fabrication, right? Mm -hmm. as, as, as the Stoics say, you know, we suffer more in our mind than in reality. And that could not be truer from the 
pressure we put our put ourselves through as coaches. That comparative game, right? Trips us up every time. Whether we compare to somebody that we were last week, a couple of years ago, or someone Joe blogs down the street, like it, it trips us up every time. And I think um something that I've been pondering for a while is we expect complete transparency from our athletes, right? Even just random people who work from the gym through the gym, just how are you doing? You okay? Like, how's the stress levels at the moment? Like, how's family? You ask because you want to know and because you care and you expect, not expect complete vulnerability, but you got to earn that. That's for damn sure. But you expect some sort of level of truth, right? They expect the same, you know, and they're like, how are you, coach? You're like, yeah, I'm sound. I'm good. I'm fine. You know, it's like, uh, we can't just be this emotionless rock, you know, sometimes if we've had a hectic week or a crazy week or a week where like, I'm not going to lie to you guys, I'm a little off this week. You know, we, I think we owe it to our athletes to tell them that, you know, first off and be like, you know what, man, like, I love you. I'm not having the best week, you know, can't really put a finger on it. It's not nothing too crazy. It's just not having the best week, but let's get through it. Right. And I think that d- develops more trust and respect from the athlete towards us by just showing a little bit of vulnerability, you know? 100%. You are singing to the choir here, my man. Uh, I've always believed that there's a superpower in vulnerability and just being real and always taking an opportunity to show the lifter that you're a human just like them. Mm. And Sure, there are other coaches that are out there that are like, hey, just run through that wall every single time uh, because I do it, you can do it too. Yeah. I find that in order to get that full transparency from a lifter, you first have to be transparent with them as well. You have, it's, a, it's a trust type of game. It's not easy to be vulnerable. And a lot of times we are self-perceiving that we're going to feel weak or perceived to be weak by doing this. But- 99% of the time, the people that are like, oh yeah, this guy is falling off his game or this guy's being vulnerable on main and that's 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 crappy or whatever the case is. Mm. Those people are just not in your corner to begin with. They were, they were going to say something bad about you no matter what. And the people in your corner are going to do everything they can to help you through it, just like you do for them, yeah. right? And um you know, I always think like, you know, when I had COVID, for example, my lifters were very understanding that I took like a week off. I took a week and some change off. But when we're not right in our head, for some reason, there's this blocker saying you can't say anything like you can't share what you're going through. But it goes hand in hand if you're not OK in any facet. Communicating that is key. One hundred percent. Brother, I've got three questions. Sure. What's the greatest piece of life advice you've ever received? Oh, man. Um, I would say the greatest slash most impactful piece of advice that I got was try your best to play your own game and be happy with your own game as opposed to being happy playing someone else's. So it goes back to the comparison piece, goes back to the genuine piece where everybody has 
that point of happiness. Everybody has that point where they can intersect happiness, authenticity, and making your work feel not so much like work. And that is individual to everybody. And I think everyone is owed that opportunity to pursue that. And everyone should feel free to pursue that. Um, and I think that some, the, the one thing that sticks in my head all the time is the thought of your mortality, right? That we have our greatest currency is time. And when we are in a situation where we're doing something that we don't fully love, or we don't do, we're not doing something that fully gives us that fulfillment or that eudomia or eudomania, or I might be mispronouncing that. Um, the more we spend time doing something that we feel like we should be doing or the, or that the more we spend time doing something that we don't fully enjoy, the more that we're just going to simply regret it when our time is up. Mm -hmm. And I always like to ponder how people's perspectives are at end of life where they wish they took that chance or they wish they did that thing, or they wish they put themselves out there more often, or they wish that something would be different. And I, I, I ponder that in my day-to-day -day decisions now, now that I have, I'm still relatively young, still relatively have a very large chunk of my life in front of me. Are the decisions that I'm making right now, something I'm going to be happy with when my time is up. Mm. And that has always led me to a true North. Mm. What's the worst piece of life advice you ever received? The worst piece of life advice that I've received was conversely trying to fit into a mold. Um, I think that uh, with my background, culturally being uh, culturally Japanese, I think a lot of the advice that I got in the beginning was you have to do X, Y, Z in order for you to be successful and you have to do X, Y, Z for the happiness of others. And that has led me to question myself, not put myself in positions where I don't feel su successful and I don't have the tools to be successful or I don't have the personality or the strengths to be successful in that regard. And yeah, that would probably be it is just trying to pander to what other people expect out of you, whether it be your parents or your family or your friends or your, your community or what have you. If it's just not you and if it's just not what you find to be feeling like you're excelling in, um, that is a very easy way to waste a life for sure. Hmm. What are the three words you tell your younger self? Three words. Yeah. We made it. We made it. Um, hmm. As a as a younger person, uh, I was very heavily bullied. I didn't really see myself as a successful person. I didn't see myself as worthy of anything that was great in life. And I always thought that I was just destined to be me mediocre. And that has led a very large amount of self-hatred and self-loathing. 
but I wish that if I, I wish I could meet my younger self to just say, Hey, listen, like it gets better and you figure it out and all the pressure that you had and all of the disappointment and all the wishes that you thought were out of your reach. Uh, we made it for sure. Brother, thank you so much, man. This has been an honor and privilege. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated the talk. I really enjoyed myself, man. So thanks for the opportunity, man. I really, really appreciate it. And it was great chatting with you for sure. You are welcome back any fucking time you want, mate. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'd love to run it back, man. Would love to do so. Give my best to the family, man.